What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. Sitting across from the beautiful Matt Odell, we're here for another edition of Rabbit Hole Recap. What's going on, Matt? What's up, freaks? Very, uh, very vitriolic week on Twitter. So much fucking drama. A lot of drama. So much salt. Is that time? Is that we're in our this time of the cycle? You know, it's that time in the market cycle. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. I got some comments. Yeah, not that. Yeah, I'm not gonna pour any gas on the fire or anything. Just some comments. Current price of Bitcoin, according to the TFTC.io ticker, is seventy two hundred or seven thousand two hundred dollars and ninety five cents. The current block height is block six hundred seven thousand eight hundred seventeen. The current hash rate is eighty eight point nine eight exahash per second. A current, according to our node. Excuse me. Um, yeah, price has been in a in a bit of a rangy to downward motion the last week. According to our node, our node sees prices. No, I was talking about the uh, hash rate there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, price has gone down a little bit yeah. since last time, I think. Yeah, we got uh, prices gone down. News, uh, not too much Bitcoin news this week, but we do have a lot of stuff going on outside of the world of Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, a a lot of Twitter drama to cover a lot of Twitter drama, a lot of, uh, a lot of leaky software out there that people are bringing into their homes and a bunch of other stuff. But before we get into that, we're going to give a shout out to our sponsors. This episode of the rabbit hole recap is brought to you by unchained capital. You freaks already know all about them. Our friends at unchained are developing incredible solutions for Bitcoiners who are either looking not to sell their Bitcoin friends. Don't let their Bitcoin sell Bitcoin. If you're not looking to sell your Bitcoin, unchained capital is there with their, Bitcoin collateralized loans, you can use Bitcoin as collateral to get uh, liquidity in the form of U.S. dollars. Uh, and as long as you're paying off that loan, you're able to keep your Bitcoin. Uh, on top of that, they have their Volt program, which is their multi-sig setup, uh, which allows you to engage in a multi-sig quorum with Unchained. And they will be one of the keys in that quorum if you ever need them to sign to move funds. On top of that, they're working on badass open source tech, including Caravan, which will let you do that same multi-sig quorum without Unchained. They've open sourced their uh, solution to this on top of that they're working on slip 39 uh, hermit and a bunch of other stuff go to www.unchained-capital.com and check out our friends at unchained today and the www.unchained-capital.com and i believe parker lewis actually uh, recorded an episode with uh, stefan lavera earlier this week and, to talk about caravan and deruv was unnoted you should listen to both of those they were yes. both really good yes uh actually talking to parker to come on and talk about the repo stuff which we're going to talk about we're going to talk about uh in this episode as well. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is also brought to you by our friends at the Cash App. You already know all about them. They've been helping us stack sats. Now they're helping us stack slivers of uh, stonks. And on top of that, they have the boost program. All right. As you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. And now I already alluded to it. Now they have the uh, simplest way to grow your money with Cash App investing. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of stock, Cash App's going to let you buy a sliver of a share, all right? We're stacking slivers of shares. This way, when your favorite company's stock is just a little too expensive, you can still own a piece with as little as $1, okay? And Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, so you're not going to have to wait four to five days for that transfer to come in so you can get into those stocks, all right? Or Bitcoin. Uh, so you can start investing today. Brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, use the code stacking stats when you're signing up. You're going to get $10. $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse uh, in Chicago. Charity very near and dear to our heart. Owls. Oh. Fuck stocks, stack sats. I agree with that sentiment too. But if you 
want stocks for any reason, the option is there. Optionality. Option optionality is good. It, not in all cases. Maybe in dating, like having too many options can be a little confusing. But we're, that's another tangent for another day. And last but not least, our good friends at GiveWell. Um, we got to give a shout out to them as well. Giving is hard when you donate. How do you know what a charity can actually accomplish with your money? Uh, what GiveWell does in practice, it's hard to know what charities are going to do with your money. So GiveWell spends 20,000 hours each year researching which charities can do the most with your money. They recommend a short list of the best charities they found and share them with donors like you. Uh, GiveWell's recommendations are free for anyone to use, and they don't take a cut of your donation. Again, they don't take a cut of your donation. Learn uh, how much good your donation can do by visiting GiveWell.org slash TFTC. That's GiveWell.org slash TFTC. They accept traditional payment methods as well as Bitcoin. So if you're looking uh, for tax beneficial uh, donations at the end of the year here, go to GiveWell.org slash TFTC. First-time donors will have their donation matched up to $1,000 if they donate through GiveWell.org slash TFTC. And they they recently got an endorsement from uh, friend and freak Michael Hawaii. Shout out to Michael huge. Hawaii. He's uh, he's been using GiveWell to donate uh, uh, nets to people in Africa to to fend off mosquitoes with malaria. Boss. Yeah. Hey, hey, we're all about giving giving back. You're giving back is important. Care about your fellow man. Also, I'd just like to say that every time Parker speaks, I just want to market by Bitcoin. <laughs> He de- he does have that. Uh, Just wanted to add that. He does that have that effect on people. He's very eloquent and to the point. He understands Bitcoin. And actually, shout out to Unchained too. And maybe we'll start with this. I don't want to you know, disclosure their sponsor. They brought on uh, Will Cole uh, to their team recently to be the head of product or the VP of product. I don't know the exact uh, title off the top of my head, but uh, this is somebody coming from Stack Overflow who is working very closely with Joel Spolsky, who is a uh, software legend and stack overflow is a very highly vaunted website within the software development world and so having somebody uh, product focused coming from that world into the bitcoin world is very positive to see we spoke about that last week but always worth repeating oh did we yeah <sighs> huge hire huge hire congratulations to sorry about that unchained team i forget that i'm getting a little uh getting a little forgetful here it's good but just it just reinforces it in the minds of the freaks yeah it's just true. It's a good hire yeah it was a good hire um Good hire. That was some good news this week. It seems like nobody can find much to talk about except for throwing shit at each other. Well, it was definitely a slow news week. This was like a proper, probably one of the slowest news weeks we've had. I mean, it's the holidays, right? I think the holidays news is in general a lot slower. Um, and then it's the bear market combined with that. Um, so people are extra salty. Yes, the big event that people are extra salty about in the last couple of days is the uh, the banning of Crypto Deleted, which was an account that uh, it was a bot that uh, would take snapshots of people on its list. Uh, excuse me, take uh, screenshots of tweets that were sent by people on the bot's list, and if they deleted those tweets, they would share the screenshots, uh, basically to to keep the tweets in in the public sphere. They were only shared after. They were deleted. Yes. Yeah. And uh, apparently the bot, the owner of the bot, uh, started exercising some editorial, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was just tweeting from it. Mr. Chach runs the account. Yeah. Awesome dude. And he would tweet from it every once in a while. I don't know if that's where like the controversy came from. That's just used as like a scapegoat. Yeah. A lot of it people was- don't like, haven't liked the account. For full disclosure, I love the account. I, I have it on my Bitcoin list and... I think it's just a great, it's funny to see what people delete. 
People who delete tweets often hate the account, right? Like it makes sense that they that they would hate it, you know. And then they wanted to be spoil sports and try and get it banned, and it did get banned. I mean, but people have been trying to get it banned pretty much ever since it existed. Like, there's been so many cases of people who've gotten added to that that bot that just freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Um. And this latest time was it was Lop who freaked out, and uh, probably some of his supporters and probably a bunch of people that already hated crypto deleted all jumped on it at the same time and did the mass reporting thing, uh, which you've seen happen so many times on Twitter. And then when you have the mass reporting, the account gets banned. So hopefully it comes back. Uh, a lot of times in these cases, we see it come back within a couple of days. Uh, they, he did move it to Telegram for now. So there is a Telegram channel. We're going to link it in the show notes. Uh, it's t.me slash crypto underscore deleted. Um, it's actually great in the Telegram channel. It's easy to search. Telegram channels are like super easy to search. Uh, and it's got all the photos there from when they deleted. And I guess let's just go into the fact that like why is a bot like this so useful? And it's because, especially during the 2017 run, is you have you have these frauds and these scammers. The they'll post a bunch of tweets and then they don't stand behind them. They they frequently delete them if they're wrong about something or they want to cover it up, but they leave the ones up that, you know, were right or show them in a better light or stuff like that. And they do it chronically. No, I wish I was um, taking screenshots in the fashion that Crypto Delete It does because the the, um, the years-long thread that I've been building that we talked about last week, uh, a couple, a few of the tweets in that thread... Uh, have been deleted one of which is was vitalic that crypto deleted actually caught uh basically saying that research for layer two is finished and like everything we got started at the beginning of 2020 uh that tweet was deleted and it's a big hole in that thread it was uh it's super frustrating especially when you go back to replies and stuff and just like whole threads are, are broken up by people who've deleted their tweets um yeah it's I, not everyone who deletes their tweets is uh is a, is a scammer but Pretty much all scammers delete their tweets, right? So, like, if you do chronically delete your tweets and you know you mean well, you're you are providing some cover uh, to the practice, is is my feeling. And uh, if it's in the public domain, then like people should be able to archive it, and I support that. Yes, I believe that uh, in the grand scheme of things, if you take a step back, a thirty thousand foot view, if you will, we will be looking back uh, during the next bear market, explaining to newcomers, "Oh my God!" During the last bar bear market, things got so heated, we got so pissed off at each other, we got to such a crabs in a in a bucket scenario that we bitched about some Twitter bot that posted deleted. I mean, tweets. last bear market was worse. There was like so much other shit going on. Uh, More suicide hotlines last night. We had the suicide hotlines. We had the the block size debate, uh, which got like super, super toxic. Uh, People wanted to raise the block size. Um, We had Hearn's Rage Quit. We had Ethereum launching and they had like huge Bitcoin bags that they were selling. Um, It got pretty fucking salty back then too. So I think it's just going to get salty every time. And I think for most people, their first one's going to be the hardest. Then after that, it gets easier. Um, like it's just a relative thing, right? Yeah. Once you've been through it before, it's like ah, oh, I've I've seen this shit before. Like, everybody getting pissed off on Twitter. I'm, I'm like, oh, I felt this before. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only drama on on Twitter this week. But before we do that, I just want to cover this because I like front loading disclosures. Um, the we have shield honey miner in the past on this podcast. Honey miner lets you mine with your regular computer. 
and it mines the most profitable shit coin and then auto dumps it for sats which we, is like a pretty cool concept we have shield and we have paid shield for them they have bought ads on um, this podcast. so they've they recently got purchased by Core Scientific like a month ago, two months ago. And since then, shit has been like kind of sketchy, strange coming out of that, yeah, that company. Apparently, uh, they were withholding affiliate link funds from, from users. Yeah, I mean, I'm that's, you know, whatever. But uh, they've been, also been acting sketchy in a bunch of other ways, just in general, just like general sketchiness. Uh, so just, it's a custodial service, like... If you have any sats with them, like consider withdrawing it, consider uninstalling the app, um, you know, not your keys, not your coins, just like a general whatever. It doesn't it doesn't seem like anyone's reporting issues with withdrawals except a couple of the affiliate people who had some questionable tactics to begin with. Um, but like in general, it's just another reminder that with these custodial services, uh, not your keys, not your coins. And, and, and if you are in that situation for whatever trade off that, you know, benefit you get out of it. You have to keep an extra eye on them. So if they start acting funny, um, you should you know be extra aware of, of how much you're keeping on a service like that. And delayed or restricted withdrawals is one of the uh, the strongest alarms that that can go off. Yeah, and like poor PR and communication stuff like that. Yes, yes. Um, and circle back to our conversation about uh, crypto deleted and the drama there before we get into the next piece of drama i think we should split up the drama with uh, a segue into the announcement that jack made yesterday happy news we'll do happy yeah. news yeah. drama happy news well because i think this particular happy news that's one it's one particular two um uh we only notice it because you say it it really uh it really uh it really um relates to to the crypto deleted thing so jack announced that uh, Twitter is going to fund similar to what Square Crypto is doing with Bitcoin Core developers. Uh, they're going to do something similar to people who are working on uh, open source social media protocols. I don't know exactly what that is, but I imagine um, Jack, the tone of the thread to me at least uh, sort of confirmed what I thought um, Jack was trying to allude to when, when we spoke in uh, early March or February, whatever that was, and that like he he didn't like that Twitter had turned into a client that that he had to control. He, he was very nostalgic about the days in which Twitter felt like a protocol, and it seems like this announcement yesterday is him uh, trying to act on that uh, that nostalgia and basically, to me at least, this is the way I read it: uh, seed control uh, or at least develop social media protocols where. Twitter doesn't have to have control of the messages being sent and you can build uh, different clients on top of this messaging protocol where users can create their own filters and ways they can interact with each other. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of vague, but it was absolutely great to see. But I I have a similar take. Like, I, I, it basically seemed like he was describing something similar to Mastodon where you have, like, a federated model where you have this open source protocol and then you have a bunch of different servers running these federated servers that have their own little bubbles within them that are moderated or centralized individually, but then they all can interact across, uh, across servers. So if you're in one server, if you're in the Twitter server versus some other server, you can still communicate between the two servers, but you have different siloed experiences in the individual ones. And it almost seemed like you wanted to take it a step further where like in the Mastodon model right now, you can't move your identity between federated servers. It's like 
you have the ability to, to like ease, relatively easily opt out and still not lose the network effect, but you have to start fresh if you move servers. It seems like he would want, and that makes sense to me, that you'd be able to move your identity across uh, these different um, like entry points to yeah. the protocol. And who uh, Yeah, and that's that's what makes like WebLN and uh, those ideas fascinating too. If you can incorporate uh, Bitcoin and Lightning nodes into it and have like a quasi digital passport in which your reputation follows you with this economic value, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm talking bullshit right now, just spitting ideas. But uh, if these open protocols merge together, it's very going to be very interesting to see the cre- creativity that's enabled. I mean, one of the things that I think is so such a waste of fucking time is arguing over like which accounts should be banned or censored and stuff like that because I really think that the path we're going, f- like we'll, we'll see going forward is going to be this path where you can't ban people even if you want to. Like the speech is protected like at the tech level. Um, and like once you hit that point, it becomes irrelevant. Like morals, you know, there's, there's no moral compass there of who, of who gets to speak and who doesn't get to speak. Um, and if people do things that are considered illegal in a specific country, then like you just do good old fashioned police work and, and you take them. Yeah, no, that was a debate. <coughs> I got into somebody around this, this topic, somebody who's actually, um, advocating for centralized social media because of, do we really want to open up Pandora's box of this free, uh, data sharing via like node and server structures where like bad actors, like child pornographers and stuff sharing data between, um, servers and stuff like that is that traveling through are we uh in possession of that at any point like is that a, a box you want to open but i tend to and this is similar pushback that I, that you just gave that i gave as well so you're, you're gonna have to solve these problems in meat space and and win the battle of ideas uh, and the battle of the minds in in the real world yeah i mean gab has just gone to war on porn in the last week too i forgot about that we didn't even have that on the list yeah. Just porn in general. They're just they want to ban it from their whole platform. Hey, they, hey, they make hey porn. They they have their views, man. They think it's uh it's acidic. It's just ironic from a free speech company. Yeah, it's uh. But as they said, which is pretty cool, is they are using the, their fork of Mastodon. So you know, if you don't like it, you can fork it, and you can have your own server, yeah. um, and you can play by your own rules. And that's you know, I think really where, where we want to see all this stuff go. Um, encryption and and you know but in, in terms of public broadcast encryption doesn't matter but using encryption and these distributed networks to basically protect speech like at, at the protocol level yeah no it'll be um interesting to see how it plays out and again i could see it in jack dorsey's eyes when i interviewed him like he the nostalgia he felt for uh again twitter being more like a protocol than an app uh it seems like he's acting on that and it's Take with take uh, the announcement for or however you will, but it seems to me at least that it's an earnest effort to to open up things. One thing I thought uh, was funny was uh, when he said he was going to live in Africa for a few months, the Twitter stock dumped, and then when he said he was going to transition Twitter into like a distributed open, you know, one client on a distributed open protocol, uh, the stock pumped, which is interesting. Markets are weird. Yeah, the algos really don't know how to react to this news, it would seem. But it's good to see. Yeah. Well played, Jack. Yes. Back to drama. Nice and optimistic. Next piece of drama uh, was Jill Carlson's uh, censorship resistance paper. Um, 
no, I guess like it was a post in CoinDesk. Uh, so, as usual for Bitcoin Twitter, there was seemingly like everyone lost any kind of nuance whatsoever <laughs> right? when debating this topic, huh? Yeah, no. So basically, the uh, the crux of the debate is whether or not Bitcoin is servicing the correct use cases uh, at this given point in time. Is it serving the use cases that it's set out to? And uh, I wrote a Ben about it yesterday, and I wasn't calling Jill out. Uh, Who are you calling <coughs> out? <coughs> wasn't calling Jill out personally. I was calling out Joe Weisenthal because he's, <laughs> he's been on this tip for a while that Bitcoiners aren't hardcore like cypherpunks anymore. And it's, and it's, it can, it's, it's terrible framing because it could serve both use cases at the same time. And yes, it may be serving one use case over another at this given point in time, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't negate Bitcoin from serving the uh, legal use cases as well. But so like Jill's whole point was that the whole reason we make this trade off with uh, favoring distribution, favoring decentralization is for censorship resistance. Otherwise, you can just use a regular ledger. You can use like Venmo or something like that that's just, you know, centralized and and you can pay anyone who's allowed to be paid and it's relatively cheap transactions, way cheaper than a decentralized system. So the whole reason we do that is for censorship resistance. So I almost think it was more damning on like the Ethereum altcoin side because they have so many projects that are just super naive that don't expect a state actor to come in and squash them right yeah what um, was it uniswap or compound that just got forced to cut off some countries or something like that it was uniswaps but uniswaps like centralized front end mm-hmm. that had yes, to do that's yeah, a smart contract um but like if you interact there's like a bunch of nuance to that too but yeah anyway but like stuff like maker maker just it came out that like if 51 percent of maker holders um, this was already known, but it got re-released in more in depth. 51% of maker holders uh, collude. They can steal like all of the ETH that is in DAI contracts. Um, the ETH that backs the DAI so-called stablecoin. And A16Z um, has a crazy amount of maker. Right. For their issue, it's not. they don't really consider that an issue because they all know like the 10 people in the room that control the 51%. So they trust each other. But the thing is, the U.S. government knows that too, right? So, like, if you're running this whole platform and you're saying, like, it's censorship-resistant, uh, but you're really just relying on your government not cracking down on you, like, that's a little bit ridiculous. It's naive, and you're just asking for fucking trouble. So, like, I actually completely agree with Jill's post. I just don't think that it had anything to do with Bitcoin. Um, I do as well. No, yeah. that's... And she never actually used the word Bitcoin. She kept saying cryptocurrency. Um And then I would push back on Joe and I would say to Joe that there's plenty of us that talk about this all the fucking time. And then I'd push back on all the other motherfuckers who are arguing about it that you that you need both. It's not like yeah, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, You need the value. Otherwise, you have no value to send. Right. Because we need the bearer token. So the the value, the token has to accrue value. Bitcoin has to accrue value. It needs to have a store value property and you need to be able to spend it when you want to spend it. (laughs) <laughs> like that is that's like the two keys of good money um and they go hand in hand they don't compete with each other uh i don't think the people that say that the the, the majority of people on like bitcoin twitter like only care about like hodling and like never spending is like you lack nuance bro like that's obviously not the case just because we're saving good money now to spend later doesn't you know negate that no not at all and it's again it's 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 
it's all about the framing. Don't let don't let these people put you in this frame of it has to be this way or that way. It's just again, there's more nuance to it. it, it right now, Bitcoin, to me at least, makes more sense that are they're more uh, hodlers, fanatics, and speculators. People trading the high volatility over time as the fanatics stay fanatical and keep hodling, and volatility keeps getting lower. It'll shift from. Uh, saving and speculation to saving and spending with little speculation. Like, and it's be, just going to take time. And it'll be different for different people depending on their situation, like how much Bitcoin like is a percentage of their overall holdings, right? Like if you're getting paid in Bitcoin, like you're way more likely to spend it, right? Because you're not getting additional fiat. You're not receiving fiat. The majority of your money is in Bitcoin. And then on top of that, like even the... There are even tools that are very cypherpunk that hodlers are using, like Jeff Vandrew's Keykeeper IRA, Keykeeper IRA that we were just talking about. Like it's, an, it's a financial product, but you hold all the keys in a multisig that you control. Like that's pretty cypherpunk. It's using it as a hodling, even though they know you have that Bitcoin, you still have <laughs> control over it at the end of the day. Government. Yeah, but if anything ever goes to shit, like the government's not holding that, you are. You right. can just move it. It's like at least semi semi cypherpunk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the other issue, and she she either did it intentionally or Coindesk did it intentionally uh, to drive clicks and drama, which I think, like, it triggered a lot of people, was, like, in the headline it said, you know, cryptocurrencies are breaking laws. Um, and, like, Joe also jumped on that bandwagon, you know, like, why don't we say it more often? Like, it, Bitcoin's also used for not breaking laws. Why are we going to constantly talk about the exact narrative that regulators want to use against us, framing Bitcoin as a criminal activity. There's a reason why we've settled on the term censorship resistance, um, because... It's it, all relative. What's illegal in one country may not be illegal in another. And well, Also, people don't know... Censor, people know censorship is bad, right? And they, there's also... It, it harks back to... Um, to our, to our to our constitution, right? That that you have this free speech, right? So censorship is speech, and it's it's a very nice framing for Bitcoin, especially in the United States. Yeah, and right? let's be clear here: if Bitcoin does not serve the use cases of those looking to uh, interact in uh, transactions that would otherwise be censored, uh, and Bitcoin does censor those transactions, and Bitcoin has failed. Like, let's be upfront about that. Nobody's hiding that. Like, nobody's saying. If uh, people trying to make transactions that would otherwise be censored have those transactions censored on the Bitcoin network, that we can somehow have it survive into perpetuity and it's okay, I I would say Bitcoin has failed if that happens. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be able to spend it. If you can't spend it, then it's not money. Yes. Um, but Bitcoin has been succeeding on that front as well as the store of value front. It's been succeeding on both fronts. Um, and yeah, I, and I, 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 my, my, my point there was just that I feel like let's let's not pretend we live in this like super, you know, black and white, like yeah, like or like perfect world where there is no political framing. Like there needs to be some calculated political framing. Like especially if you're like a like a more public Bitcoiner or you know, like you have you can't be just going out there like you can't do like the Virgil type of thing where you go to North Korea and you you like say hey. potentially send an Ethereum transact allegedly send an Ethereum transaction between North and South Korea breaking sanctions yeah um, calculated yeah calculated yeah yeah be cal censorship resistance is a great term it means exactly what it should mean and it's framed really nice yeah 
And let's just talk about some of the use cases it services. Right now in America, it is good for marijuana dealers who cannot send money to banks because their banks are hooked up to the federal government. But well, not dealers, like dispensary Dispensary, owners. yes. Yeah. Sorry. Still the stuck legal up. businesses. Yes, the legal, legal businesses. businesses. <laughs> uh, and even the illegal ones. Bitcoin can serve them too, but... Framing, Marty. Framing. But not framing. Let's bring it back to framing. The war on drugs... Uh, here in America, I think most of us, or most of you listening, most of you freaks out there listening to the, this podcast will agree that it is an abject and complete failure 100 years in. And uh, consensus in America is coming more around to the drug war has failed. And that is something that is illegal in the States now, but most people believe shouldn't be. So people should be able to make those transactions. Bitcoin enables that. And that's something that in the future may not be illegal and probably won't be illegal. But... Uh, if we didn't have Bitcoin, these people won't, I mean, not that Bitcoin is their only option and the only option that they're falling on, but it is an option they have. Yeah, this I mean, a perfect example was your interview with Matt Alberg uh, the other day. Like, that was lawful remittance, like people just trying to get money back to their families so that they can eat. Um, and it's blocked in the current system or made prohibitively expensive, right? Um, that's a form of censorship. Uh, you know, you have... I mean, I don't know of particular cases, right? But you can just imagine so many situations where you have an authoritarian government coming down on you and being able to freely move your money is is, is not only moral, um, but but necessary. And it's a huge, um, a, a huge objective of Bitcoin. That's the whole point of Bitcoin. Yeah. It works for hodlers and those in need to make, uh, make transactions that would be censored in the traditional financial tunnels. And I feel like everyone helps each other, you know, like this idea that and you touched on it in the bent and this idea that that people that right now are just saving Bitcoin, that they're just, you know, they're, they're buying Bitcoin, they're stacking sats and they're saving it and they're hodling it um, aren't like contributing to the network or they're freeloaders or something like that. Like that value increase that they're bringing into the system helps everyone and increases liquidity um, yeah, just it keeps adoption, creates miners adoption, more. Creeps, uh, keeps interest around the protocol so people keep building the tools so that these people can make these transactions that we're talking about. It's uh, Don't hate on your fellow Bitcoiner. Uh, Bitcoin is for everybody. Damn right it is. Yeah. And people are not coin joining as much as they should be. Did you see this? I updated my chart. Yeah, looks like... Uh, it could be higher could be higher looks like it's gone down too in the last month yeah october was a bad month it's a little bit cyclical or november was a bad month kind of trending up wasabi's kind of flatlined a bit yeah so let's jump into it what did uh what are you pulling these stats from again let's go over the data that so we're wasabi's at. using a fixed fee address so you can just go to the wasabi address and see how many rounds have have taken place wasabi rounds go by um uh, when 100 participants join or every two hours, whichever happens first. Um, and how many rounds do I have there for the month of November? For Wasabi? Yeah. 546. And there are 10 million sats per round. So each UTXO, because we don't have confidential transaction, each UTXO has to be the same size. Um, so with Wasabi, that size is either 0.1 or higher, because um, sometimes they'll do higher mixed combinations, um, unlike smaller non sets. So then with Samurai, Samurai has the smaller round sizes. They have only five participants per, per uh, cycle. Um, 
and they have differing amounts. They have three different pools. They have the one million sats pool. Uh, they have the fifty million and the five million. Um, so basically, they they lined up their pools around wasabis above and below. Yeah, and they had all in nine hundred ninety eight. Um, uh, what is this rounds? Yeah, it's all based on rounds. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a very basic analysis, but just a basic looking at it. It'd be a lot more difficult for me to do it by um, actual amount of Bitcoin because wasabi rounds vary so much in size. Uh, but it is, you know, it's just a, a way to look. At it. That's why I think it's interesting to look at it from the different pools. Um, because that's not shared liquidity either among samurai, right? Uh, those pools are all distinct. Um, so you almost like look at it as like four different products. You have like the wasabi pool, and then you have samurai one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the round sizes is a good way to compare it to itself, right? So like to just look at the one million pool size and be like, okay, these rounds have always stayed constant, right? From and, month to month. And like let's see month to month how much that usage is. That's kind of what I'm looking at. Obviously, the more people that coin join, the better, uh, because we you basically the whole concept of coin join is like hiding in the crowd. Uh, so we want to see that number go up, especially if uh, you agree with Jill's piece, right? Right. And uh, the potential for that number to go up was this isn't on the list. We debated whether or not we're going to talk about it. we're going to talk about it because it just relates to this. Uh, to do these coin joins, you need to send to a back 32 address and BitMEX just enabled back 32 withdrawals for their customers. So if any of you assholes are trading on BitMEX out there and looking to clean your coins or not clean them to coin join your framing Marty, I know framing are looking to You want to use Bitcoin privately. If you want to use Bitcoin privately after you trade on BitMEX, you can do that now by sending it straight to Wasabi or Samurai. Exactly. Hopefully next thing they'll do is stop reusing fucking deposit addresses. That would be huge. Um, Someone said to me the other day, they were like, uh, aren't you afraid that exchanges will start blocking uh, transactions with CoinJoin deposits, with CoinJoin history in them? Because, um, you know, like, where did they draw the line? Are they going to do it eight, eight hops ago, ten hops ago? Um, like, at what point does it no longer necessarily was you doing the CoinJoin? Um, and I said to them, I was like, well, what happens if they decide to block uh, coins with a BitMEX history? Right, like that's arguably way more coins. I mean, I, I, I would bet on it being way more coins. I've not done any kind of math there. Um, I think we'd be in a good spot if CoinJoin liquidity was as high as BitMEX uh, volumes. <laughs> um, but like that'd be crazy, right? But that's way that's if if you're thinking about something like a CoinJoin ban being enforced uh, at scale, like why wouldn't they ban BitMEX? BitMEX isn't allowed in the United States. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll try. We shall see. Yeah the, yeah. the point is, like, I just don't even think that that's, like, we have bigger concerns as Bitcoiners if that starts trying to be enforced at scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. So be aware. CoinJoin has looked like it's flatlining a little bit. So if you are looking to use Bitcoin privately, think about it. Think yeah. When about- you withdraw from BitMEX, do a CoinJoin now. Yeah. And also... Make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you know the the best practices. Matt included a good uh, a good chart, uh, or excuse me, a good um, info not infographic. What am I looking at here? The uh, uh, tips. There's some tips on the tweet that we'll share in the show notes on how to use each mixing service. 
Yeah, I mean, there's... Tips and concerns. There's so many things that you can do wrong. Um, there's so much nuance, and it's, it's, it's very difficult to use Bitcoin privately right now. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm so bullish on Lightning, because I think it'll make it a lot easier to use Bitcoin privately. But it's important to realize that nothing here is 100%. There's a lot of pitfalls. You have to be very careful. But at the same time, like I don't think that should scare people out of using CoinJoin because the majority of people right now are already leaking tons and tons of fucking information, right? So in 99% of cases, like even if you fuck shit up, like you're in an approved position and you know, don't don't operate under the assumption that it's perfect, that you did it right, right? Operate on the assumption that you still fucked it up. Um, but it's still an improvement. Like it's not hard to improve the horrible privacy situation of the majority of Bitcoin users, right? Yeah, but it's, you can only lead a, a horse to water, right? No, because I get that a lot, like in my DMs and stuff, and like talking to Bitcoiners in person, where, where they're like, I'm, I've been overwhelmed and, and worried about trying it. I don't think I could do it. You know, and, and, and that's my, res- my response is, you know, like you try it with a little bit of money, you know, like a small amount that you're willing to lose. Try it on testnet. Uh, yeah, well, I, the problem with testnet is it's different for testnet reasons, right? And, you know, like the confirmations are not constant. Uh, the, the, the round sizes are smaller, stuff like that. And it, it kind of screws with people's understanding, I think. Um, but, yeah, just, just I, I, for 99% of people, we can only go up from here in terms of privacy. <laughs> I mean, I think that's also an important thing to just keep in mind. Yes, yes. We should be fighting to make Bitcoin more private. We talked about that last week. If you didn't catch that episode, go check that out. Um, speaking of privacy, Square Crypto gave a dope grant yesterday to somebody who's completely anonymous. Z-M-N-S-C-P-X-J. And somebody who's been working on the Lightning Network and uh, Square Crypto uh, gave out a grant to this Anon dev. And p- people are pumped. Apparently... Uh, this this Anon is is very good at what he or she is doing. I was wondering how you're going to try and pronounce their name. Um, uh, but yeah, great dev, uh, huge hustler, uh, constantly working out there. Um, and I just think it's really cool that like this wasn't possible. Well, first of all, it's cool that they actually did their work and put their work in to like get approval because they're a public company. Um, but it's pretty cool that like a company can provide a grant to a NIM um, without like knowing where they live, knowing their name and stuff like that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It was the crazy thing in the, uh, the Twitter thread announcement. They only know the the time zone GMT plus eight uh, it could be in China, Brunei, Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore. We have no idea. And not only that, um, like you can't pay someone like that without, without Bitcoin or at least before Bitcoin because now you could pay them in a shit coin. Um, but yeah, you, you can't, you couldn't do that before Bitcoin. That's pretty it's pow- powerful shit. Yeah. So shout out to the team at Square Crypto for putting their necks out there. I mean, again, like you said, this is a public company making a pretty ballsy moves. Like a lot of the comments in the, uh, in the thread are like, how the hell did you pull this off? Like, we'd like to do this, but, um, so shout out to Square Crypto for pulling it off. And then Rockstar did like a CZ, uh, tweet. He's like, Better not ask this. Some things are better unsaid in this industry right? <laughs> for the sake of the industry. I fucking love that meme. Yeah. Um, 
did you see Rockstar put was shilling his promo code to Bitblockboom, and he says that if you use the promo code, you win drinks with uh, us, him, and uh, Rodolfo. I did not see that, but I'm all in. Yeah, use code Rockstar Bitblockboom or TFTC. Um, do we have? Do you think Gary put the code yet for TFTC? I don't know, Gary, if you're listening, try putting TFTC in first, and then if that doesn't work, you can put in Rockstar. Is this? And then we'll just take credit for all of Rockstars. Yeah, is this uncouth of us right now taking somebody else's affiliate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love Gary. I love Bitblock Boom. It's it's cool that Rockstar is going to be. He's going to have a whole technical track this time, so Rockstar is going to be speaking in that. Yeah, um, it's a good conference. It's a nice small conference in Texas in August. Uh, consider going to it. it's a good time it's a, and it's a small one uh so and it's, it's intimate very intimate so get tickets early if you're if you're honestly thinking about it um and there's gonna be he's actually doing a full live stream this time supposedly so it's gonna be dope boss. so you can view from away so people don't have to read transcripts and get triggered <laughs> yeah if you freaks remember that was the conference where uh, bitstein had his famous uh his his famous presentation that triggered all of crypto twitter uh, before they even watched it, which is pretty pretty amazing. Yes, yes. Uh, Michael has a penchant for triggering people. Should we go to the next piece of drama? Since that was, we had a happy drama, happy drama, happy. Now we're back to the third piece of drama. I, I, don't, I don't know what drama you're the alluding Bitsy to. The token on oh my Liquid. God, I haven't been following that too closely. I mean, there's not really that much to follow. Blockstream has this federated sidechain called Liquid that basically uses uh, a big-ass multi-sig to secure the system. Um, it's like I think 11 it's, of 15, I think. I think it's out of 16 now. I think it's 12 out of 16. Really? Um, but they keep adding to it, right? And the idea is, the idea is to do all the stuff that doesn't really need censorship resistance, the stuff like that people want to do on like Ripple and Ethereum and stuff like that, and then just you put it on this federated sidechain, you don't need a different token. It uses... LBTC, um, which is Bitcoin held in that multi-sig. Um, and you have like, it's like custodial, but it's an improvement on custodial, right? Because you have to have all these federated partners collude and hopefully they're in all different countries and stuff like that. So one of the main use cases for it is something like Tether, where you have to trust Bitfinex and Tether not to not, you know, to actually have the money in the bank anyway. You know, trusting this 12 of 16 federation isn't really that, you know, big of a jump from that. And, of course, all the other bullshit tokens that exist out there are, are the target of, seem to be the target of Blockstream and uh, to get them onto Liquid, right? And the big hot thing nowadays is, is to have these exchange tokens, which BNB led the way, um, where they, like, pretend like they're quasi-equity um, by buying and burning their t- their own token to drive it and and Bitsy is the latest exchange to add it. They added their own token. I think they're doing a fifty million dollar ICO and it's going to be like a two hundred million total supply. And their projections are like fucking ridiculous. And they're launching it on Liquid. They're the first major. I get they're not even a major exchange. They're like the first relatively big uh, Liquid token to launch. Um, so the first is fuck exchange tokens like everyone knows how i feel about bnb and leo <laughs> they're centralized uh you you literally not only do you have to trust them with actual you know the, the ledger and, and protecting your coins and not fucking you because they're centralized you also have to trust their reported numbers like they're not audited or anything like when binance says like this is how much revenue we made 
Um, and people are like, oh, they made more than Deutsche Bank. Like, no one knows like if Binance actually made that money. You're just taking their fucking word for it. Um, and then last but not least, they have even increased regulatory risk over all these other tokens because they're exchanges. They handle fiat. They, this is, you know, one of the reasons why we, we always say here that proof of stake centralizing on exchanges is so bad because the exchanges are the easiest tar- targets for regulation. Uh, and the same goes with the token. Like, you can't cold storage BitC token or BNB token because it doesn't fucking matter how you store the coins if they can just change the ledger behind your back or freeze your account or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it was. it's all very... I mean, I saw the, the BitC... And notice that they're doing the ICO. I thought it was like a little fishy. The the relationships that exist between some people in Blockstream and Bitsy and all that drama too. We're not even going to get into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nothing I would invest in. It just it feels. Uh, it feels. I think people should be ashamed if they're promoting this to retail because it's just a bad investment or whatever. I think, um, and I, I just. Uh, but I also think it's fucking hilarious that basically like all these Ethereum people got triggered by it um, and they're like calling out Blockstream for launching this ICO but like facilitating an ICO on their platform right because Blockstream isn't launching it Bitsy is launching it it's just on Liquid Uh, and I guess in general anyone can launch a token on Liquid so it's what you know um but it's just hip- it's just funny. Like, how can you get mad at them for that when that's literally what your platform, you know, What's prioritized cool? for all of 2017? Yeah, and if <coughs> and if you're out there making comparisons to uh, Blockstream's raise and Ethereum's raise and launch, you got to really think your mental model of of this space and stuff like that. Yeah, and it also it makes sense. Like all these big exchange tokens, like BNB and shit, they're already centralized. Like, why pay Ethereum gas fees when you can just put them on this, you know, federated chain? Like, it, may, it makes a lot of sense to me um, why Liquid could be useful for... Even though I hate the tokens, it makes sense to me that the tokens are better suited long-term on a, a, a chain that, like, admits how centralized it is, right? Like, takes certain trade-offs and does it accordingly. Yes, yes. Um yeah, speaking of gas prices, the the hard fork was successful for Ethereum last week. It did screw up a few contracts, though. Yeah, I mean, it's they just like called the twenty five people that needed to uh, update their nodes, and they're good. Yeah, um, so be aware. Well, it's, well, it really is a good case study and why hard forking may not be advantageous. Uh, backwards compatibility may be advantageous because if you hard fork and people aren't prepared which is the case for a lot of Aragon contracts and a bunch of other... Were con- those the contracts that broke? I believe it was those and some others that uh, the way their their gas prices were coded into their smart contracts after the hard fork, there's just not a, enough gas to spend what's in the contract. Oh, right. I saw it. Like, Gemini couldn't uh, sweep their... Yeah, their... They're having... Their auto-sweep bot or whatever contract call wasn't sweeping their hot wallet because it just was not paying enough gas. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But, like, I think they can just fix that, right? Yeah. But for others, I think it was unfixable. Yeah. I mean, the problem with hard forks is that if you can easily get the whole network to upgrade, um, then you can slip in uh, attacks or vulnerabilities um, that older clients can't catch any longer because they're not part of the network. Um, 
so it's a security vulnerability. That's why like Bitcoin doesn't have like an auto update feature. Like that's something that blows people's minds, right? But like when you um, are using like malware bytes on your computer or some program and you have auto update, like you don't think about it because like obviously you're trusting you're trusting the company to to update you correctly. Like that's the that's the relationship you have with that that business. Um, but with Bitcoin, like one person or a group of people shouldn't be able to just force an upgrade down the whole network. Otherwise, you can you can it's like the easiest attack vector ever. Don't trust verify freaks. Verify um, before you upgrade. Um, speaking of malicious attacks, what's going on with Tor? You were talking about this earlier. It didn't get much attention on Twitter, but it seems like a pretty big deal. Malicious relays on the Tor network. It got like a decent amount of attention in like Tor Twitter. Uh, Tor users like in Bitcoin Twitter or crypto Twitter is like a still small subset, I feel like. Uh, and growing, though, which is good to see. Um, I mean, this is just an inherent problem with Tor's model. Uh, Tor is like semi-centralized in the way like their name servers work. Um, and you can... It relies very much on like these block lists uh, that go out to try and block malicious relays. Because like anyone... There's no proof of work, right? So anyone can just run relays and you can run thousands of relays. So it's been theorized for a long time that especially nation states have like the money to do it. Um, America specifically and like running all these relays and the idea is that you try and it's the same way you would try and uh, track lightning transactions where you're you put enough nodes in the network where you see all the hops because they're going through you or you see like enough hops that you can then um, make a guess and this guy actually like wrote it up and he's been tracking them and that's the other thing is like what's a malicious relay right how do you decide what a malicious relay is? So this guy's been tracking like telltale signs of these different um, yeah. So the one he's looking actors. <coughs> Excuse me. The chart he's looking at is uh, a graph that shows Sybil's guard capacity over time, about three years, and the guard capacity is going up pretty exponential. So you have three nodes: you have guard nodes, mm -hmm. you have relay nodes, and you have exit nodes. The guard are like the, the entry nodes. They're where you come into the Tor network, right? So they see your IP, right? And then the relay nodes bounce around the relay nodes. And then if you're going to like an Onion site, like a native Tor site, then you never leave. You just bounce around the relays and you go into the Tor site. But if you're going to just like Google.com or some non-Tor site, then you go out and exit nodes. So you have the three nodes, right? And like the famously, the one that in some countries can get you in trouble running is that exit node. Um, this guy noticed a spike in both the guard nodes and the relay nodes. The reason the exit nodes have issues is because anyone whose traffic comes out of your exit node, you know, they might be going to bad sites and stuff like that, and, and that gets flagged as your IP going to it. Um, but running a relay node is, is basically how you try and fend off this type of attack. The more people that run relay nodes, the more nodes the attacker has to run to try and pull off um, tracking. Um, I mean, ideally, we'll, we should have a system that is, you know, has better incentives, that isn't prone to this kind of stuff to begin with. Yeah. So what does this mean? Are they able to discern that they definitely are being tracked? Is it potential? No, I think it's more of a... Well, first of all, with these types of things, it's like probability, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, which guard node did you come into? Which relays do you go to? Um, but it's very much right now, like the way they're trying to fight it is whack-a-mole plus getting people to run nodes... Um, we linked to a site, fastrelay.org, which makes it pretty easy to run your own relay node. 
Um, I know BTC Pay has a flag where you can run a relay node directly in BTC Pay. I um, mean, it uses a different Tor instance, so it's not linked to your onion address either, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I, it's not very, it's not a very uh, sustainable strategy, just playing whack-a-mole with like centralized block lists uh, and at the same time telling people to run nodes that they're obviously not directly compensated for. Um, so it should be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, it'd be nice to get a proper successor to Tor. Is the future of Tor in danger? I, this is always, this is like the issue of Tor. Just like the way it's built, it's this is the issue. Mm-hmm. Run a shit ton of malicious nodes under one entity and demask the whole network. Yeah. Um, so, yes and no, right? It, it, it's, it's been doing pretty good up until this point. And keep in mind that even if you have one entity... Um, even if that one entity compromises it, right, you're still protected from a bunch of other entities. Um, but just as with all these other things with privacy, uh, you, you can't op- ever operate that there's like a silver bullet or you're perfect. You should actually always be operating in the more paranoid sense and go to the go to the extreme where like basically like if you're on the internet, it's compromised. You know, I'm 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 trying my best to cover my whatever, but like I'm compromised. Yeah. Um, and then proceed accordingly. Yeah. Crypt yeah. everything locally, offline. Be aware. Be aware. It's hard out there. No one uses PGP. I've had a PGP fucking key listed uh, for years. Uh, I, I actually changed it like six months ago, seven months ago, and I didn't really go through. I like I've. This is the problem with BGP. Like, I lost the PGP key. Um, and the only person who noticed was Stefan Levera, uh, which was dope. I'm glad he checked with me through a side channel. Uh, but I've had PG, I have a PGP key listed. No one, everyone just DMs me in the clear, emails me in the clear. Uh, so there's still a lot of work to be done in that type of situation. A lot of, uh, a lot of, y- user mentality and flow to fix here a lot of mental rewiring to do if you want to protect your privacy in the digital age and this is a good segue into uh two topics about data breaches one at amazon ring and the other at uh, a contractor that was working with spring so it looks like uh your data continues to be unsafe with third party uh with third parties amazon ring story uh, came out on Vice earlier this week. Basically, Vice did a piece. Uh, they reached out to hackers and are showing how hackers are breaking into ring cameras and actually like talking to kids and stuff. So ring cameras are like those Amazon doorbells with the camera and the speaker and the microphone. Yes. That are connected to the internet, which already have a ton of privacy issues because Amazon has the information and police, it, it, it like easily partners into police programs where they're able to pull the information. Um, but now, as we can see, it also... You're getting raped every way. You got Amazon holding your data. You got them giving it to the cops so that they can spy on you. And then on top of that, they're not protecting it. And so weird people can get into your devices, spy on you, and talk to your children. This is the, uh, you're bringing these in, you're bringing these devices into your home. It is a personal choice. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the talk to your children one is like the perfect news headline, right? That's how they ran with that one. Right. Um, but like they were like, I think they were like scoping out robberies and stuff like that, and it's not great, not great at all, not ideal. And neither is what happened to uh, the Sprint contractor. Uh, actually, Amazon is part of this story as well. There was a Sprint contractor who was holding 
uh, user data of Sprint users on uh, an AWS cloud server without a password. So that was uh, like something like 260,000 documents, which were uh, not only Sprint customers, but Verizon, uh, AT&T, and other networks just because of the data share between these yeah, what the mobile fuck? companies. Um, but yeah, so this contractor left uh, all these bills with phone call information, payment information uh, on uh, AWS server without a password. And it was basically free reign for hackers to come get that data for an extended period of time. So first of all, I guess like the main way they get into the ring one is by just, you know, hitting Amazon accounts and just people have insecure passwords. So use a more, I mean, you shouldn't be using a ring camera, but like but use a better password on Amazon people. And also Amazon, if they don't have two factor, I don't think they have two factor. They should have two factor enabled, at least for the ring product. Um, as far as the sprint thing, first of all, at least, you know, that not really, it's not Amazon's fault. The guy was just using AWS and, yeah. Um, didn't have password protected or anything. But how's that even possible? Um, like AWS should make yeah. people password and TFA. Yeah. The yeah defaults are always important, reasonable defaults. But the other thing that's but I guess you always have public facing things out of AWS, right? Like people host websites on their shit. Um, but the other thing is like this guy didn't even work for Sprint. He was a contractor for Sprint, third party contractor. And he had all this information on like AT&T customers and Verizon customers. And the whole point was to try and get those customers to switch to Sprint so he knew all their personal information. Like that's so fucked from like so many different angles, right? Like that, I, I, I don't know. It's like they just, everything in our society is just baked into just not being private at all. Just a leaky sieve. It takes action. It takes action. Is this the world you want to live in, freaks? Ask yourself that question. No, thank you. And you have to do something personally. Act. Um, two more topics before we wrap up here. To more economic, geopolitical news. The war on cash continues this week uh, in Greece and Italy, where two pretty draconian measures are being passed in Greek. In Greek, in Greece, uh, Greeks will be hit with a hefty fine if they do not spend almost a third of their in- income electronically individuals that fail to meet that target will be hit with a 22 percent fine on the funds that don't meet the one-third of their income threshold um so they're trying to force people to uh transact digitally in greece so that they can tax that greece and notoriously has a very uh, uh a culture of tax evasion they don't like paying taxes there but um they're and to take uh to try to solve that problem the current greek government is attempting to force people to transact digitally uh in italy uh they're making all cash payments above 2000 euros illegal in 2020 and that limit will drop to 1000 euros in 2021 and anyone refu- who refuses to accept credit cards is instantly going to get a 30 dollar fine for each transaction they deny plus a 4% uh fee on top of the refuted amount so the war on cash is in full effect, especially in Greece and Italy right now. They're trying to get you to uh, transact in these digital panopticons that they've erected for us, which is the current financial system. The Greece one is doubly fucked because the Greece one is also forcing you to spend 30% of your income. Right. So it's it's not just banning cash. It's also forcing spending because if you don't spend 30% of your income electronically, you get a 22% 
fine uh, on tax on the shortfall basically yeah. yeah um that's fucked uh this is like one of they all these governments have been slowly moving to ban cash more and more um and in societies where they're not yet pushing these bans the, the society itself is starting to frown on on cash transactions and and you know different stores and stuff around here we even see like they they're going cashless um and this is one of the reasons I'm, you know, most bullish on Bitcoin is because I don't think these countries can help themselves, especially going into negative interest rate policies. Um, they they can't help themselves. Well, and one of the biggest arguments against uh, Bitcoin being, you know, being able to use Bitcoin privately being an improvement is everyone says, oh, well, like cash is the best and cash is the best in terms of privacy, but it won't even be an option in 10 years. So it's irrelevant. Yeah. And I'm happy you mentioned NERP, too, because uh, another bank in Denmark instituted, uh, I believe, 75 BIPs of negative interest rate policies on uh, customers with more than 500,000 krona uh, in Danish banks. And so they're hitting people from both sides, right? The, the, the low middle income classes so that are just trying to get by and working paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> if you don't spend a third of that paycheck electronically, they're going to take your money. And then if you do have money and you're looking to save it somewhere, they're going to get you on the other end. The rich folks who are just looking to park their wealth somewhere are just automatically getting taxed on that wealth. They're coming for our money. They, they, if this, all these signals aren't signs that something is terribly wrong. And this is a good segue into the last topic of uh, the episode, which is the repo market uh, mystery that seems to have been solved this week. It seems like things are terribly wrong within the international banking system. So with the repo market... Uh, in particular, we've been three. Uh, we've been covering this um, since September. So, if you freaks remember, in early September there was a uh, overnight spasm of uh, repo rates. They spiked to, I believe, ten to fifteen percent, which basically signaled to the market that there was a liquidity crunch somewhere at the Fed window, or between the banks and hedge funds trading between each other. Um, and a month later. We came to find via Zero Hedge that uh, J.P. Morgan, one of the world's biggest banks, has been embarking on a huge portfolio, or excuse me, balance sheet restructuring uh, this year, uh, rotating out of cash and into longer-term bonds. And and so, like early November, that came to the that news came to the market, and people are surmising that that action by J.P. Morgan is what's creating the the repo market um, sort of spasms, the, the liquidity crunch in those markets, in particular those money markets. And then earlier this week, uh, Zero Hedge came out with another piece covering comments from the Bank of International Settlements, which is like the biggest top boss bank in the world. It's really the puppet master behind all the strings, behind all these central banks and stuff like that. And they came out and admitted uh, what the source of demand for liquidity in the repo markets is. And it turns out that it's actually hedge funds looking to uh, lever up. They, there are a bunch of hedge funds that are <laughs> able to go to the Fed. So they would typically go to JP Morgan, it seems, or banks like them that were making uh, similar balance restructuring throughout the year. And they would go to their to JP Morgan to get cash to uh, service these levered positions in the market. And since JP Morgan rotated out of that cash and into longer term uh, investments, that liquidity dried up and these hedge funds were forced to go to the Fed window and get liquidity there. So that's where all the repo demand or a lot of it seems to be coming from. And these, these hedge funds are crazy levered up. Millennium, uh, which is one of the biggest, is 5.25x levered. Citadel is 7.55x levered and 0.72 
is 5.48x levered and the people at the bank of international yeah the people at the bank of international settlement said the fed had to step in or they would have multiple ltcm like instances and ltcm free freaks don't uh who don't know ltcm stands for long-term capital management it was an infamous hedge fund uh, that uh, raised a bunch of money in the 90s based off a bunch of academic quants who built these algos that they said would never um, never fail. They levered up a bunch, and they, they failed uh, pretty infamously in 98. They lost $3 billion in like four months. Um, so the top bank in the world, representatives at that bank, are saying the Fed was facing multiple LTCM situations if they did not step in. So it seems like the hedge funds are the ones... The levered up hedge funds are the ones in need of liquidity right now. Whew, I'm ranting here. And it doesn't seem to be good. Yeah, that is... Um, Sorry for that long-winded rant. You did a good job... I didn't breathe. ...trying, trying to explain a complicated... Uh, I think a pretty complicated topic. Yeah. Uh, that I don't pretend to, to really understand. Um, but the, the leverage is very interesting. It does not sound like a safe situation to be in. Yeah, so... These the way the BIS's language was uh, structured, it seems that these hedge funds needed to service their their margin. Um, otherwise, they get liquidated. Yeah, right? otherwise or they, they get liquidated. Close the position. Yeah, well, which is being liquidated or yeah. or sell. Well, like liquidate is like force close, right? Yeah. Well, if, if you the problem with liquidation when you're lat levered up is slippage, so you can only liquidate so much yeah. before price moves, and you're fucked. True. 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 Yeah. Not great. Not great this at all. This is why we Bitcoin. Yeah, well, be aware. Like, things are things are looking frothy. I, I said it in a, my thought of the week for Sat Sander last week was 2020 is going to be a hell of a year, freaks. Put your helmets on in every aspect. we got an election here in the States. we got trade wars heating up. we got things going on in the banking system. we got the Bitcoin halving. Uh, it's... We're going to roar into the 20s here, it seems like. Things are, things are interesting in a good and a bad way. In some good ways, some bad ways. It's interesting how the the halvings always line up with U.S. presidential cycles. I think it's interesting. All right, like that'll always be the case, unless like a lot of hash keeps coming online before difficulty retargeting. Yeah, by like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Bitcoin Cash may miss out on the election cycles. <laughs> yeah, they they're, they're five thousand difficulty adjustment in the beginning where they tried to be parasitic to Bitcoin. Yeah. I think they'll be. I think they're five thousand blocks ahead of us. So that'll be actually something to look forward. Quasi pre mine. To something to look not forward to, but to pay attention to is uh, when Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV have their havings uh, months before Bitcoin. It'll be even cheaper to attack them. Yes, but they haven't been attacked yet. So unless their price raises, uh, which I'm not, not banking on at all. Not gonna hold my my dreams. Dreams of a spectacular reorg. <laughs> that have yet to be seen. Did we have any shout outs this week? We did not. We did not. No uh, no shout out love. But I, shout out to you freaks. I have two Twitter shout outs. Get it. Uh that hit me with notifications in the last hour so they get priority access. Uh one guy, which is highly relevant, Mark DeBont on Twitter, sent a picture of his IKEA shopping today in the Netherlands that doesn't they don't accept cash. So the war on cash continues. Um, the other shout-out is Away Slice on Twitter, our boy Josh. Uh, he asked about the coin join thing. Can you elaborate on 
your Wasabi concern of if a user doesn't remix, the Anon set will degrade. And what I mean by that is that the remixing is the most important part, right? Because if you think about it, when you're when you're mixing with these people, if it's on, I guess on Samurai, it's like easier to visualize. Um, but if you have five people um, in a mix and four of those people all, the majority of those people are either one entity or they all do bad privacy techniques. So like you, you mix with 80 people and like 60 of the people then send them to KYC exchanges so that they all get, you know, identified. And then 20 of them are being run by a bad entity that is just trying to fill up the, the mix pool to, to de-anonymize transactions. And then you're just the last one there. Um, like in that case, like you're going to, uh, it'll be way easier to identify your transaction. So the more times you remix, um, it, it adds a substantially better, um, like plausible deniability and difficulty of, of tracking it on the chain. Right. Like I, I think that did I do a good job explaining that. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. That was for you, Josh. I'm just hiding deeper in the mix. Um, got anything to riff on here? Um, do you have anything? No, no. Um, I love this time of year in New York city. The holidays. Yeah. City's got a, a very special vibe. I hate the cold. The I cold. hate the cold. Fuck the cold. The vibes are high, though. The nice, though, I've said this before. The one nice thing is I'm always wearing my face mask now. <laughs> Better be careful, man. No, it's it's not suspicious because it's fucked up because I'm white and it's cold. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, it's freezing out. All right, dude. Um, is that all we got this week? Stay humble, stack sats. Yeah, check out the website. Smash that subscribe button. Share. Um, yeah, buy a hat. Peace and love, freaks. <laughs>